Section six of On the Nature of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Raven Notation. On the Nature of Things by Lucretius. Translated by John Selby Watson. Book two, part three. In considering these points, it is proper for you also to have it impressed, as with a seal, upon your mind, and to keep it faithfully entrusted to your memory, that there is nothing, among all objects of which the nature is apparent before us, which consists only of one kind of elements, nor anything which does not consist of mixed seminal principles. And whatever possesses in itself more numerous powers and energies than other things, thus demonstrates that it contains more numerous kinds of primary particles, and various configurations of them. In the first place, the earth has in itself primary atoms, from which springs, rolling forth cool waters, incessantly recruit the immense sea. It has also in itself atoms from which fires arise. For in many places, the soil of the earth, when set on fire, burns, and the violence of Etna rages with mighty flames. Moreover, the earth contains atoms from which it can raise up rich corn and cheerful groves for the tribes of men, and from which also it can afford waving leaves and abundant pasturage for the brood of wild beasts raging over the mountains. For which reasons, the earth alone is called the great mother of the gods, and mother of beasts, and parent of the human race. The old and learned poets of the Greeks sung that she, in her seat on her chariot, drives two lions yoked together, signifying that the vast earth hangs in the open space of the air, and that one earth cannot stand upon another earth. They added the lions, because any offspring, however wild, ought to be softened when influenced by the good offices of parents. And they surrounded the top of her head with a mural crown, because the earth, fortified in lofty places, sustained cities, distinguished with which decoration the image of the Divine Mother is born, spreading terror through the wide world. Her various nations according to the ancient practice of their worship, call the Adean mother, and assign her bands of Phrygians as attendants, because they say that from those parts corn first began to be produced, and thence was diffused over the globe of the earth. They assign to her also the galley, because they wish to intimate that those who have violated the sacred respect due to their mother, and have been found ungrateful to their fathers, are to be thought unworthy to bring living offspring into the realms of light. Distended drums and hollow cymbals resound in their hands around the goddess, and their horns threaten with a hoarse noise, while the hollow pipe excites their minds with Phrygian notes, and they carry weapons outstretched before them as signs of violent rage, which may alarm with terror the undutiful minds and impious hearts of the crowd, struck with the power of the goddess. As soon, therefore, as, riding through great cities, she, being dumb, bestows a silent blessing on mortals, they strew the whole course of the road with brass and silver, enriching her with munificent contributions, while they diffuse a shower of roses, overshadowing the mother and her troop of attendants. Here the armed band, whom the Greeks call by the name of Phrygian Curites, dance round vigorously with ropes, and leap about to their tune, streaming with blood. Shaking the terrible crests on their heads as they nod, they represent the Dictian Curites, who are formerly said in Crete to have concealed that famous infant cry of Jupiter when the armed youths in a swift dance around the child struck in tune their brazen shields with their brazen spears, lest Saturn, having got possession of him, should devour him 
and cause an eternal wound in the heart of his mother. Either for this reason, therefore, armed men accompany the great mother, or else because the priests thus signify that the goddess admonishes men to be willing to defend the land of their country with arms and valour, and to prepare themselves to be a protection and honour to their parents. These pageants, though celebrated as being fitly and excellently contrived, are yet far removed from sound reason, for the whole race of the gods must necessarily, of itself, enjoy its immortal existence in the most profound tranquillity, far removed and separated from our affairs, since, being free from all pain, exempt from all dangers, powerful itself in its own resources, and wanting nothing of us, it is neither propitiated by services from the good, nor affected with anger against the bad. The earth indeed is at all times void of sense, but, because it contains the primary elements of many things, it brings forth many productions, in many ways, into the light of the sun. If any one, then, shall resolve to call the sea Neptune, and call Ceres, and chooses rather to abuse the name of Bacchus than to utter the proper appellation of wine, let us conceive that such a one may pronounce the orb of the earth to be the mother of the gods, provided that it still be allowed to remain its real self. But to return, then, to the infinite variety of atoms. The woolly sheep we often see, cropping the grass from the same plain, and the warlike brood of horses, and the horned herds, living under the same part of the canopy of heaven, and quenching their thirst from the same stream of water, grow up of dissimilar species, retaining the parent nature, and all follow habits according to their kinds. So various is the nature of the matter in each kind of herb, so great is the variety of particles in each river. Hence, moreover, though the same parts, bones, blood, veins, heat, moisture, viscera, and nerves make up any one you please of all animals, still these, being very different in themselves, are formed of primary particles of an entirely different figure. Further, whatever bodies, being set on fire, burn, show that there are cherished in their mass, if nothing else, those various seminal atoms from which they are enabled to throw forth fire and cast up light, and also to put sparks in motion, and scatter abroad embers. Surveying other things with like reasoning, you will accordingly find that they conceal in their consistence the seeds of many things, and contain various conformations of atoms. Again, you observe many objects to which both colour and taste have been assigned, together with smell especially most of the gifts which you offer to the gods, when you feel your mind affected, in a debasing manner, with religion. These things must therefore consist of various conformations of atoms, for scent penetrates where juices, which excite the taste, do not make a way to the corporeal organs. Also, juices by their particular method, and flavour by its particular method, win their way to the senses, so that you may know that they arise from different conformations of atoms. Dissimilar forms of particles, therefore, combine in one mass, and things consist of mixed seminal principles. Besides, even in my own verses you see everywhere many elements common to many words, though you must nevertheless necessarily acknowledge that the verses and words consist part of some elements and part of others differing among themselves, not because only a few common letters run through the words, or because no two words, out of all, are alike in having any letter in common, but because, taking the word throughout, all the letters are not common to all. So likewise in other matters, many common elements, as they are the primary principles of many things, may yet exist in dissimilar combinations among themselves so that the human race, and the fruits of the earth, and the rich groves, may justly be considered to consist each of distinct original particles. 
nor yet is it to be thought that all particles can be combined in all ways for if this were the case you would everywhere see monsters arise you would behold shapes produced half man half beast and sometimes tall boughs of trees grow out of an animated body you would observe many members of terrestrial animals united to those of marine animals and nature breeding throughout the all-producing earth chimeras breathing flame from horrid mouths of which irregularities it is evident that none occur since we see that all things being produced from certain seeds by an unerring generative nature can as they grow up preserve their kind pure and unmixed and it is plain that this must necessarily be the case according to strict method and laws for from the several sorts of food that are eaten the particles suitable to each animal pass internally into its limbs and other parts and being there combined produce motions fitted to that animal but on the other hand we see that nature throws back upon the earth those particles which are unsuitable to the animal and many existing in imperceptible substances escape out of the body being wrought upon by the impulses and agitations of other particles which effluent particles could neither be combined in any part nor consent and be animated to participate in the vital movements but lest you should think that animals only are bound by these laws a certain order and regularity let me observe keeps all things distinct for as throughout the whole of nature things dissimilar from one another are individually produced so it is necessary that each should consist of a different form of elements not that only a few elements are endowed with like forms but because all throughout all bodies are not similar to all since moreover seminal particles differ their intervals passages connections weights impulses collisions motions must necessarily differ variations which not only keep distinct the bodies of animals but give peculiarity to the land and the whole sea and cause the heaven to differ in nature from the earth and now attend further and receive into your mind my precepts which i with pleasing toil have collected together do not by any chance imagine that those things which you see before your eyes of a white colour consist because they are white of white elemental atoms or that those which are black are produced from black seminal particles nor suppose that any objects which are tinged with any colour whatsoever wear that colour because their material elements are tinctured with a hue similar to it for there is no colour at all in the elementary atoms of matter either similar to that of the bodies in which they exist or dissimilar into the nature of which elementary atoms if you think that the mind cannot penetrate so as to form an idea of them because they are without colour you wander far away from the truth since when those who have been born blind and who have never seen the light of the sun yet distinguish substances by the touch which to them have seemed unmarked by colours from their earliest youth we may understand also that substances actually untinctured with colour may be brought under the comprehension of our intellect moreover whatever objects we ourselves touch in thick darkness we do not perceive to be tinged with any colour at all since i prove it to be possible that atoms may be colourless i will now show that it certainly is so for every colour is or may be changed into all colours whatsoever but this is a transmutation which primordial elements must by no means undergo since it is necessary that there should remain something unchangeable lest all things should be reduced utterly to nothing for whatsoever being changed goes beyond its own limits this change forthwith becomes the death or termination 
of that which it was before. Be cautious, therefore, not to tinge the seeds of things with colours, lest all things for your gratification should be reduced to nothing. Besides, if no kind of colour has been assigned to primary particles, and if they are endowed with various forms by which they generate and vary all kinds of colours, and since, moreover, it is of great consequence with what atoms, and in what configuration, seminal particles are severally combined, and what impacts they mutually give and receive, you may at once, with the greatest ease, render a reason why those objects, which were a while ago of a black colour, may suddenly become of a marble whiteness, as when the sea, after violent winds have stirred up its waters, is changed in hue, and boils up into waves white as the whiteness of marble. For you may readily say of any object, which we generally observe to be black, that, when its material atoms have been disturbed, and the order of the particles changed, and some taken away and others added, it forthwith becomes possible that it may seem of a glowing whiteness. But if the waters of the sea consisted of cerulean atoms, they could by no means become white, for, in whatever way you may disorder and commingle those atoms which are cerulean, they can never pass into the colour of marble. But if the atoms which make up the simple and pure colour of the sea were tinged with various and diverse colours, as frequently we see from different forms and dissimilar figures, is formed a perfect square, consisting of only one figure, it would follow that, as in the square, we see the other different figures exist, so in the water of the sea, or in any other simple and pure colour, we should see those wholly different and distinct colours, from which the uniform colour of the sea proceeds. Further, the different figures which make up the square by no means hinder or prevent the whole outline of the compound figure from being or appearing square. But the various colours of any substances which make up any compound substance impede and prohibit that whole compound substance from possibly being of one uniform hue. Then, moreover, the reason which prompts and induces us sometimes to impute colours to primary particles, namely, that coloured substances are compounded of them, passes for nothing, because white substances, as the foam of the sea, for instance, are not necessarily produced from other white substances, nor substances which are black from other black substances, but from substances of various colours, and because, moreover, white substances will more readily arise and be produced from primary particles of no colour than from primary particles of a black colour, or from particles of any other colour whatsoever that is adverse and opposed to white. Further, since there can be no colours without light, and the primary particles of things do not come forth into the light, you may hence feel certain that they are vested with no colours at all. For what sort of colour will there possibly exist in thick darkness, when colour is a thing which is changed in and by mere light, because it appears different, as it is struck by direct or oblique light? As the plumage of doves, which is situate round the back of the head, and encircles the neck, appears of a different colour as it is seen differently in the sun, for in one position it is affected so as to be red with the hue of the bright carbuncle. At another time, in a certain aspect, it is so changed that it seems to mix the colour of green emeralds with blue. The tail of the peacock also, when it is covered with a flood of light, changes its colours as it is presented in different ways, in like manner. And since all these colours are produced by a certain effect of the light, it must be considered that colour cannot be produced at all without that light. Since, too, the pupil of the eye receives upon itself one kind of impulse when it is said to perceive a white colour, and another again when it perceives black and other colours, and since it is of no moment as to the feeling with what colour those things 
which you touch are distinguished, but rather of what shape they are formed, you may conclude that primary particles have no need of colours, but have only to affect the touch differently through the different forms in which they are combined. Besides, since there is no certain kind of colours peculiar to certain shapes, and since all shapes of seminal atoms may exist with any colour whatsoever, why, if we suppose that seminal atoms, which are of manifold shapes, have colour, are not those creatures which consist of those seminal atoms, sprinkled over accordingly with all sorts of colours, each in its several kind, whatsoever it may be? For under this supposition it might be expected that crows, as they fly, would often shed forth a white colour from white feathers, and that swans, if springing perchance from black atoms, would be born black, or if from atoms of any other colour, might be of any other hue whatsoever, uniform or varied. Moreover, the more any body is divided into small parts, the more you can see its colour by degrees die away and become extinct, as happens when gold is broken into small fragments. So purple and scarlet, by far the brightest of colours, when they have been divided thread by thread, are utterly deprived of lustre, so that you may from this infer that the small parts of bodies throw off all colour before they are reduced to their ultimate atoms. Further, since you grant that all bodies do not emit sound or smell, it consequently happens that you do not attribute to all bodies sounds or smells. So, since we cannot see all bodies with our eyes, we may conceive that certain bodies exist which we do not see, as much destitute of colour as others are free from smell and void of sound, and that an intelligent mind can form a notion of these colourless bodies, no less than of others which are destitute of other qualities and distinctions. But that you may not perchance imagine that primary atoms remain void of colour only, they are also, you may understand, altogether destitute of heat and cold, and are understood to be barren of sound, and dry of all moisture, nor do they send out any odour of their own from their substance. Thus, when you proceed to compound a sweet ointment of amaracus and myrrh, and the flower of nard, which breathes nectar to the nostrils, it is, in the first place, proper to seek, as far as is convenient, and as far as you may be able to find, the substance of inodorous olive oil, which emits no scent to the nostrils, that it may, as little as possible, by the infection of any strong smell of its own, corrupt the odours mixed and digested in its body as a vehicle for them. Finally, therefore, it must be granted that the primary atoms of things communicate no odour or sound of their own, to the things to be produced from them, since they can emit from themselves none of these qualities. Nor, in like manner, do they emit any savour at all, or cold, or heat. Other qualities, moreover, which are such that they are themselves, and in the bodies with which they are connected, perishable, as pliancy from softness, brittleness from decay, hollowness from tenuity of substance, must all of necessity be separated from primary elements if we wish to lay an everlasting foundation for things on which their entire security may rest, that the whole universe may not be resolved into nothing. And now let me observe that those creatures, whatsoever they are that we perceive to have sense, you must necessarily acknowledge to consist wholly of senseless atoms. Nor do manifest appearances which are readily observed, refute this position, or in the least oppose it, but rather themselves lead us by the hand, as it were, and compel us to believe, as animals, though possessed of sense, are generated, as I say, from atoms without sense. For you may observe living worms proceed from foul dung, when the earth, moistened with immoderate showers, has contracted a kind of putrescence, 
and you may see all other things besides change themselves similarly into other things. The rivers turn themselves into leaves of trees, and the rich pastures into cattle. The cattle change their substance into that of our bodies, and from our bodies the strength of wild beasts and the frames of birds are often augmented. Nature, therefore, changes all kinds of food into living bodies, and hence produces all senses of animals in a method not very far different from that by which she resolves dry wood into flames, and turns all combustible bodies into fire. Do you now understand, therefore, that it is of great importance in what order the primordial elements of things are severally placed, and with what other elements, being mingled, they give and receive impulses? Besides, what is it that acts upon your mind? What moves you, and induces you to express a different opinion, preventing you from believing that what is possessed of sense is produced from atoms without sense? It is evidently this, that stones and wood and earth, however mixed together, are nevertheless unable to produce vital sense. On these subjects, then, it will be proper for you to remember this principle, that I do not say that what has sense, or that senses themselves, are, of course, produced from all atoms in general, whatsoever generate things, but that it is of great importance in the first place, of what size those atoms are which are to produce a being of sense, and with what shape they are distinguished, and in the next place, what they are in their movements, arrangements, and positions, of which particulars we, from our imperfect perceptions, see nothing take place in wood and clods, and yet these, when they are as it were rendered putrescent by rain, produce worms, and for this reason, because the atoms of matter, being driven from their former arrangements by some new impulse, are combined in such a manner as makes it indispensable for animals to be produced. Besides, when philosophers determine that a being which has sense can be produced only from atoms endowed with sense, they, forthwith, accustomed to adopt opinions from others, make those atoms soft. For all sense is connected with viscera, nerves, veins, and whatever soft substances we see exist and grow in a mortal body. But let it be supposed, for a moment, that these atoms of which animals consist may, though sensible and soft, remain eternal. They must then, however, either have sense as parts of animals, or be thought similar to whole animals. But it cannot be that as parts they have sense of themselves, for every part and member, if separated from the body, breaks off connection with the other senses of the other members. Nor can the hand, when dissevered from us, nor any part of the body whatsoever, retain alone the sense of the whole body. It remains, therefore, that they must resemble whole animals, so that they may be animated with vital sense throughout. But how, then, will it be possible for them to be called the elements of things, and avoid the paths to death, when they are of an animal nature, and, existing themselves in perishable animals, are one and the same with them. Yet if we allow that primordial atoms, though imperishable, may nevertheless be endowed with sense, they will necessarily, in that case, produce nothing but a crowd and multitude of animals. Just as men, cattle, and wild beasts, would be unable to produce by combination severally among themselves anything but men, cattle, and wild beasts. How then could things inanimate, as trees and metals, be produced? It is only on this supposition, accordingly, viz. that they can generate nothing but sentient beings, that we should be obliged, as far as we see, to allow primordial atoms to be sentient. But if, perhaps, you say that the primordial atoms, being, as you think, sentient, lay aside, in combination, their own proper sense, and take another, what need was there, in that case, that that should be assigned to them? 
which is afterwards taken away. And besides, to recur to an illustration to which we had recourse before, inasmuch as we see eggs of animals changed into birds, and worms spring forth when a kind of putrescence from immoderate rains has affected the ground, we know that animals having senses may be produced from objects without senses. But if any one, perchance, shall say that sentient beings may certainly arise from senseless atoms, but that this must be effected by some change which takes place in those atoms, as from some new birth, before the sentient being which they constitute is brought forth into existence, it will be sufficient to explain and prove to him that no birth ever takes place unless from some combination previously formed, and that no change is effected without a combination of primordial atoms. For no senses of any animal body can exist before the substance itself of the animal is formed, and this is evident inasmuch as senseless matter is kept dispersed throughout the air, rivers, earth, and things produced from the earth, nor, though it may have united, has it so united as to engender in itself those concordant vital motions, but which the all-observing senses of animals, being generated, direct and preserve every living creature. Besides, a blow inflicted, if heavier than nature can endure, strikes down any animal at once, and has the effect of confounding all sense of the body and of the mind. For the positions and connections of the atoms are dissolved, and the vital motions are utterly impeded, until, at last, the matter of the body, suffering concussion in every member, unlooses from the body the vital ties of the soul, and drives it forth, scattered abroad through every outlet. For what more can we suppose that an inflicted blow can do, than shake to pieces and dissolve the several elements that were previously united? It also happens that when a blow is inflicted with less violence, the remains of vital motion often prevail. Prevail, I say, over the effects of it, and calm the violent disorders occasioned by the stroke, and recall everything again into its proper channel, and thus dispel, as it were, the movement of death, when asserting its power in the body, and revive the senses when almost lost and overcome. For under what influence, if not under this revival of the sentient motions, can bodies return to life, the mind being re-established, even from the very threshold of dissolution, rather than depart and pass away to the bourne, to which they had almost accomplished their course. Furthermore, since pain happens when the principles of matter in any living body, disturbed by any force throughout the viscera or the limbs, are agitated in their situations within, and driven from their proper places, and since an agreeable pleasure succeeds when they return into their places, it is but right to infer that primordial atoms can be affected with no pain and enjoy no pleasure of themselves. For they, being primary bodies, do not consist of those combinations of primary bodies, the motions of which suffer pain or receive enjoyment of gentle pleasure from alteration. Primordial atoms, therefore, must not be considered as endowed with any sense whatever. Besides, if, in order that animals may severally have sense, sense is also to be attributed to their primary elements, then, forsooth, the elements of which the human race is peculiarly constituted, both laugh, shaking their sides with tremulous cachinnation, and sprinkle their faces and cheeks with distilling tears. They, moreover, can tell much of the mixture of bodies, and inquire, besides, what are their own elements? For, as they resemble entire men, compounded of elements, they themselves must also be compounded of other elements, and these others must be composed of others again, so that, reckoning thus, 
you would never make a stop, but go on to infinity. For I shall pursue the argument, and demand that whatever you shall admit to speak, and laugh, and understand, must consist of other elements exercising the same powers. But if we plainly see such reasoning to be absurd and insane, and if a being can laugh, that is compounded of elements which do not laugh, and can understand, and render a reason in intelligible words, though he be not compounded of intelligent and eloquent seminal principles, why may not all those creatures which we observe to be sentient around us be compounded of seminal atoms wholly destitute of sense? Finally, we are all sprung from celestial seed. The father of all is the same ether from which, when the bountiful earth has received the liquid drops of moisture, she, being impregnated, produces the rich crops and the joyous groves, and the race of men, produces all the tribes of beasts, since she supplies them food, by means of which they all support their bodies, and lend a pleasant life and propagate offspring, on which account she has justly obtained the name of mother. That also which first arose from the earth returns back into the earth, and that which was sent down from the regions of the sky, the regions of the sky again receive when carried back to them. Nor does death so put an end to things as to destroy the atoms of matter, but only disunites their combinations, and produces new unions of particles, and is the cause that all things so change their forms, and vary their colours, and receive perception, and in a moment of time yield it up again, so that you may understand it to be of the greatest importance with what elements, and in what position and connection, the same primordial atoms of things are combined, and what impulses they mutually give and receive, nor suppose that the primary particles of things cannot remain eternal, because we see them fluctuate upon the surface of things, and sometimes apparently born, and suddenly perish. As even in these very verses of mine, it is of great consequence with what letters, and in what order, other letters are severally placed. For the same letters, variously selected and combined, signify heaven, sea, earth, rivers, sun. The same signify corn, groves, animals. If the words are not all, yet by far the greater part are alike, at least so far as to have some letter or letters in common, but the subjects which they express are distinguished by the different arrangements of the letters to form the words. So likewise even in things themselves, when the intervals, passages, connections, weights, impulses, collisions, movements, order, position, and configurations of the atoms of matter are interchanged, the things which are formed from them must also be changed. Give your attention now, closely, to the conclusions of just reasoning from what we have previously stated, for a new doctrine presses earnestly to approach your ear, and a new scene of things to display itself. But neither is anything so easy or credible as that it may not seem rather difficult of belief at first, nor likewise is there anything so great or anything so admirable at first, at which all men alike do not by degrees less and less wonder. In the first place, consider the bright and pure colour of the sky, and that which the stars, wandering in all directions, contain in themselves, and the resplendency, from brilliancy of light, of the moon and the sun, all which objects, if they were now first apparent to mortal eyes, if they were, I say, now first presented to them unexpectedly and suddenly, what could be mentioned, which would be more wonderful than these phenomena, or which the nations of the world could less presume, beforehand, to believe would exist? Nothing, as I conceive, 
so wonderful to men would this scene of things have been, for the sake of which no man, you may observe, now deems to look up to the bright regions of the sky, every one being listless from Seichi of viewing it. Wherefore, forbear, though being alarmed at mere novelty, to reject any argument or opinion from your mind, but rather weigh it with severe judgment, and, if it seem to you to be just, yield your assent to it, or, if it be false, gird up your loins to oppose it. For since the sun of space, abroad beyond these walls of our world, is, as I have proved, infinite, my mind proceeds to make inquiry what there exists farther onwards, in those parts into which the mind perpetually longs to look, and into which the free effort of thought itself earnestly desires to penetrate. The first point which I advance is, that in every direction around us, and on all sides, above and below, there is no limit through the whole of space, as I myself have demonstrated, and as truth itself spontaneously proclaims, and the nature of the profound itself makes clear as light. But by no means can it be thought probable, when infinite space lies open in every quarter, and when seminal atoms of incomputable number and unfathomable sum, driven about by everlasting motion, fly through the void in infinite ways, that this one globe of the earth and this one heaven have been alone produced, and that those innumerable particles of matter do nothing beyond our sphere, especially when this world was made by merely natural causes, and the atoms of things jostling about of their own accord in infinite modes, often brought together confusedly, ineffectually, and to no purpose, at length successfully coalesced. At least such of them as, thrown together suddenly, became in succession the beginnings of great things, of the earth, the sea, the heaven, and the race of animals. For which reason, it is irresistibly incumbent on you to admit that there are other combinations of matter in other places, such as is this world, which the ether holds in its vast embrace. Further, when abundance of matter is ready, and space is at hand, and when no object or cause hinders or delays, things must necessarily be generated and brought into being. And now, if there is such a vast multitude of seminal atoms as the whole age of all living creatures would not suffice to number, and if there remains the same force and nature that can throw together the atoms of things into every part in the same manner as they have been thrown together into this, you must necessarily suppose that there are other orbs of earth in other regions of space, and various races of men and generations of beasts. To this is to be added, that in the whole of our world there is no one thing which is produced single, and grows up alone and by itself, but that every thing is of some class, and that there are many individuals in the same kind. Thus, among animals especially, you will, by your own observation, See this to be the case as to the brood of wild beasts that range over the mountains. You will find the same as to the race of men, male and female, the same, moreover, as to the mute swarms of fishes, and all the kinds of birds. Wherefore it is to be admitted that, in like manner, the heaven and the earth, and the sun, the moon, the sea, and other things which exist, are not single, but rather of infinite number, since these follow the same general law as other things that arise and decay, the limit of existence, deeply and unalterably fixed, awaits these parts of nature as well as others, and they consist as much of a natural body, generated but to die, as the whole race of animals which abound, in their several kinds, in this state of things which points if, 
being well understood, you keep in mind and reason from them, the system of nature immediately appears, as a free agent, released from tyrant masters, to do everything itself of itself, spontaneously, without the help of the gods. For, O ye sacred bosoms of the deities, that pass in tranquil peace a calm and most serene existence, who is able to rule the world of this immense universe? Who can hold in his hand, with power to guide them, the strong reins of this vast combination of things? What God can, at the same time, turn round all the heavens, and warm all the earth with ethereal fires? Or what God can be, at the same moment, present in all places, to produce darkness with clouds, and shake the calm regions of heaven with thunder, and then to hurl bolts and overturn, as often happens, his own temples, or, afterwards, retiring to the desert and uninhabited parts of the earth, to rage there, exercising that weapon with which he often misses the guilty, and kills the innocent and undeserving. And after the time when the world was produced, and the natal day of the sea, and the rise of the earth and the sun, atoms were added from without, seeds which the vast whole, by agitation, contribution, were conjoined, whence the sea and the earth had the means of increase, and whence the mansion of the sky amplified its vastness, and raised its lofty vaults far above the earth, and the air rose higher and higher. For to every body in nature, from all regions of space, are contributed, by the agitation of particles, its own proper atoms, and they betake themselves severally to their own kinds of matter. The particles of moisture pass to water, the earth is increased with atoms of earth, and the fiery principles produce fire and the aerial air, until, as such operations proceeded, Nature, the perfectress and parent of the world, brought all things to the utmost limit of growth, as happens when that which is received into the vital passages is no more in quantity than that which flows away and passes off. In these circumstances, the age and growth of all things must be at a stand. Here, nature, by her own influence, restrains further increase. For whatsoever creatures you see enlarge themselves to a full and lively bulk, and climb by degrees the steps to a mature age, receive into themselves more atoms than they emit, whilst the nourishment is readily distributed through the veins, and whilst their bodies are not so widely dilated as to expel many, that is, a disproportionate number of particles, and to cause the waste to be greater than the food on which their life sustains life. For certainly we must admit that many atoms flow off and pass away from bodies, but, till they have reached the highest point of growth, more ought to accrue to them. From that point, age reduces by degrees their mature force and strength, and melts away and sinks down to its decline. Since the larger any creature is, at the time when its increase is stopped, and the greater is its extent of surface, the more atoms it disperses, and emits from itself, in all directions around. Nor is the whole of its food readily distributed through its veins. Nor is there sufficient nourishment generated from the food, in proportion to the effluvia which the body discharges. Whence, as much support as is necessary can arise and be supplied to it, and whence nature can recruit what is requisite. Bodies, therefore, naturally decay, as they are wasted by their substance passing off, and as all things yield to external attacks, for food at last fails to support advanced age, and hostile atoms, striking externally, cease not to exhaust every creature and subdue it with assaults. So likewise the walls of the great world, being assailed around, 
shall suffer decay and fall into mouldering ruins for if things are kept in vigour it is nourishment that must recruit them all by renewal and it is nourishment that must support nourishment that must sustain all but it is in vain to expect that this frame of the world will last for ever for neither do its veins so to speak submit to receive what is sufficient for its maintenance nor does nature minister as much aliment as is needed and thus even now the age of the world is debilitated and the earth which produced all races of creatures and gave forth at a birth vast forms of wild animals now being exhausted scarcely rears a small and degenerate offspring the earth i say which produced all creatures for it was not as i conceive a golden chain from above that let down the tribes of mortals from heaven into the fields nor did the sea or the waves that beat the rocks produce them but the same earth which now nourishes them from her own substance generated them at first moreover the earth herself of her own accord first produced for mortals rich crops and joyous vineyards she herself supplied sweet herbs over the abundant pastures which now scarcely reach a full growth though assisted and augmented by our toil we both wear out our oxen and exhaust the strength of our husbandmen being scarcely supplied with fruits from our slowly yielding fields to such a degree do the productions of the earth decline and increase only with human labour and in these days the sturdy ploughman shaking his head sighs that his great toil has too often fallen out in vain and when he compares the present times to the times past frequently praises the good fortune of his forefather the planter of the degenerate vine also sad and fatigued accuses the progress of time and wearies heaven with prayers for better seasons and often remarks how the ancient race of men full of piety spent their lives happily within narrow limits when the portion of land cultivated formerly by each individual was much less than at present nor does his untaught mind understand that all things exhausted by a long course of time gradually waste away and pass to their grave end of section six